1: Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and
0: John. Or as I like to think of it, Dear John and Hank, I'm back!
1: It's the, uh, the podcast where Hank and occasionally his brother John uh, answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all of the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm a little tired. Uh, I'm still recovering uh, from the
0: last couple of months. But on the whole, I am well. How are you, Hank? I'm good. I'm also tired. You can tell by my voice that I... Yeah, it's a, it's a tiring time of year for us, uh, Summer. Yeah. It, it used to be the time of year when we relaxed and played together, uh, making games of our own creation. Uh, me always winning them by changing the rules midway through, even though you, despite being younger, were stronger and uh, smarter and, and more talented, I uh, I always held the, the rules of the game, which, which made me a winner. But uh, these days, it isn't a place where we just uh, relax and uh, play games where I make the rules. These days, uh, Summer is a stressful time of year where we must play a series of games in- involving rules made by other people.
1: Uh, and also winter and fall and spring.
0: I feel that winter and fall and spring are times when I am home with my family more, and I get to make the rules in my home, uh, at least uh, with my wife. The children don't get to make rules, and it's great fun uh, to control them. Do you have a poem? I do have a poem for today. It's it's called Never Again the Same. It's by James Tate. Hank, I apologize in advance. This isn't the shortest Short poem you've ever heard in your life, but uh, I think it's a good one. Okay. Okay. All right Uh, Speaking of sunsets last night's was shocking. I mean sunsets aren't supposed to frighten you are they well This one was terrifying people were screaming in the streets sure it was beautiful, but far too beautiful It wasn't natural one climax followed another and then another until your knees went weak and you couldn't breathe The colors were definitely not of this world, peaches dripping opium, pandemonium of tangerines, inferno of irises, plutonian emeralds, all swirling and churning, swabbing like it was playing with us, like we were nothing, as if our whole lives were a preparation for this, this for which nothing could have prepared us and for which we could not have been less prepared. The mockery of it all stung us bitterly, and when it was finally over, we whimpered and cried and howled. And then the streetlights came on as always, and we looked into one another's eyes, ancient caves with still pools, and those little transparent fish who have never seen even one ray of light, and the calm that returned to us was not even our own. That's a poem uh, by James Tate. never again the same, more or less the way that I've uh, felt coming home after the the last two months of uh, crazy travel and uh, uh, the the calm uh, that has returned to me uh does not even feel my own um sorry for the long short poem hank but uh it's a good one right
1: yeah it was wonderful it was definitely not uh the lyrics to an Elton John song yeah
0: i mean i've noticed that in my absence the short poems uh have been pretty terrible no no nothing against uh the many wonderful guest hosts you've had <laughs> but uh they they don't they, they don't have a gift for short poetry
1: yeah uh that's i think that's something that you you know That you, in particular, are very good at. So, um, remind me, Hank, what this podcast is all about. I
0: know it's about AFC Wimbledon and Mars and poetry, but I believe that there there is a fourth component.
1: Yes, the fourth component is that we answer questions and give dubious advice, John. Oh, God, I love dubious advice. Where are we starting today, Hank? We're gonna start with Russ in London, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, according to the Notes app on my phone, I have 23 books on my must-read list, 25 films, six TV shows, 21 theater shows, and 34 bands to check out on Spotify. My RSS reader shows probably 200 articles a day from web comics and video games to philosophy and politics. This is all too much. I'm piling up more information than I can take in. I'm stressing myself out. At the same time, the world is full of brilliant people making." Beautiful, insightful things. I love to learn about those things and I'm really interested in lots of areas. As two crazily productive people with varied interests, how do you decide what to let through the filter so you don't get overwhelmed? Ooh. What a great question from Russ. Uh, we do live in an era
0: defined by uh, the overabundance of information. And uh, everything else. How do we choose uh, what to discover in a world where there is so much that might be discovered?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't even know. I, I'm I'm really bad at that. Actually, I I, can't, I I read quite slowly, so I can't even take in that much media. I I do have a diverse set of interests, but I don't really have a diverse set of of media consumption habits. Like I watch one TV show at a time pretty slowly um what are you watching right now i'm f- watching the second season of orange is the new black which i'm quite late to uh, this, uh oh uh
0: you know what's coming up at the end of the second season of orange is the new black spoiler alert the fault in our stars what do you mean by that i mean that some of the characters read and discuss the book the fault in our stars written by me
1: Oh, I think I may be, I think, I, no, yes, indeed, I am I am watching the third season of Orange is the New Black.
0: Yeah, that doesn't have anything written by me in it, but it's still good.
1: Um, yes, I I don't know. It's hard to keep track, uh, but yes. You
0: know what I'm watching What is the third season of the television program The Americans. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's which good. Which is the best TV show I think I've ever watched.
1: Well, you're not helping Russ here by potentially adding a new series to his must-watch list. Oh, man. Well, and the other thing
0: that Russ needs to do is bear in mind that Paper Towns, the movie, isn't even out in the United Kingdom yet. So he needs to add that to his list. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Russ, I mean, you need to put aside those 25 films immediately and focus on consuming the media that is the Paper Towns movie adaptation. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that the only thing that you can do uh, is to... Uh, Forgive yourself for all of the amazing things that you will never learn about um, And to try to focus uh, With energy and passion and joy on the things that you will learn about so, you know, I I don't read uh 100 books a year like I used to in my uh, early 20s. Um, But I try uh, to read books that I really like. And if I don't like a book, frankly, these days, I just stop reading it because uh, I know that there's so many books on my to read list. So that would be my main recommendation is to kind of forgive yourself and to, uh, you know, when you find something that you like, Uh, hold on to it and get excited about it and share it, even if it means that it's going to add to someone else's reading list.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And have it be about the process, like, you know, like thinking about the future of your media consumption habits is, you know, you're spending time thinking about that rather than just enjoying the media, which is the kind of the purpose of, of them. Just read the books. Don't worry about the books that you might read. And I, frankly, even if we're talking about a a list, that's one thing. I've bought a lot of books I haven't read. And they just sit there. And I'm like, wow, that Space Viking book is probably really good. But I probably won't ever read it. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, the... uh... I don't know. We're all going to
0: die, Hank, Uh, as is frequently pointed out on this comedy podcast. Uh, We're only here uh, for a brief glimmer of time. And I don't think that when you're on your deathbed, you're going to look back and think about all of the things that uh, you didn't read. Um, Hopefully, uh, you'll think about and be lifted up by all of the things that you did read. So, Russ, um, you're going to die. And uh, in the meantime, you might as well uh, try to find joy and pleasure where you can. Hank, can we move on to another question? Yes, we can. Alright. Uh this one is from this this one is from Matt. He writes, Dear John and Hank, a friend of mine, whom I have known for years, has started reading Ayn Rand. Oh, this is terrible news. This is terrible. I'm concerned about Matt, but I'm mostly concerned about Matt's friend. It's irritating for friends and family. I don't doubt it, Matt. But more than that, those ideas hurt everyone and everything around whoever spouts them. So true. Uh, he's just begun this. How do I help him realize that this path is not good and is a detriment to this planet? Thank you very much. Uh, it's so rare that I find someone who hates Ayn Rand as purely as, as Matt and I do. First off, thank you for your question, Matt. Uh, it's really uh, it's moving, it's profound, and it gets at the heart of uh the heart of literature in in the United States, which is that Ayn Rand is is the worst, is the worst author in print today. Um, And... uh you want to talk about books that shouldn't be on your to-read list, how about you just knock off The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, boom, saved yourself 2,500 pages. I can summarize it for you uh, nicely, which is that uh, if you imagine a world that is different from the world that actually exists, then uh, always acting selfishly would make sense. However, we don't live in that world that doesn't exist, so... uh it doesn't it, you know, so so Atlas Shrugged and the Fountainhead are both irrelevant to our actual lives as actually lived. There's something incredibly um exciting about reading uh, Ayn Rand for the first time, uh, because you feel inevitably um like the characters who are at the center of the stories, you feel like a special snowflake. Um, you feel like uh, you know, the world is is aligned against you and if only you know things were fair and just and uh, everyone acted according to their will, you would rise to the top um, as inevitably you should. But the, the, the difficult thing is, is realizing that everyone experiences that when they read uh, Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead, which is precisely why those books are so popular and still in print. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you, Matt. All I can say is that usually in time, people abandon objectivism. And when they don't, You abandon them.
1: I'm just going to leave that one all to John, because I know very little about these books. Well, actually, I'm I'm super interested in actually reading them, and I I would if they were not so large, because I want to see the techniques used to make people get so riled up about this worldview, And, and so, like, they just, like, eat it so deeply that it then, for many people, affects them for their entire lives, and then you hear you know people who are super smart who have been affected by this and then be- go on to become quite successful um, talking about how that the, these books influence them and and i think in some ways it it creates good business people uh, because it, it not necessarily, not like good for the world but good for business good for a particular business because it makes people feel very empowered in their selfishness right um, right and uh, and and so when I when I I get I get discouraged when I uh, you know when I read that some that many very powerful people have this worldview and it's just it's very it's very upsetting because it basically requires you to believe that most people are just inferior are, are, are on are are inferior. Yeah. That is the correct that that the they correct are fundamentally
0: yes. less um, than you. You, of course, always being uh, the one who isn't inferior. You, the one who has read this book. Uh, yeah, no, there's a guy running for president of the United States who's literally named after Ayn Rand. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think um, I. You know, this is a place where I have especially strong feelings, and I know a lot of people would disagree with me, and I should say, um, because it is true, that I might be wrong, and I often am wrong, and, um, you know, it's totally possible that I'm completely wrong about Ayn Rand, but I do have incredibly strong feelings about her uh, her work. Um, let's move on, Hank, because I feel like this comedy podcast has taken, it, it again, a turn right, for the darkness. All right, well, Robert
1: asks, Dear Hank and John, uh, this question is for me, apparently... Uh, Hank said that he would not go to Mars given the chance because, uh, to be clear, for those who weren't listening, uh, because of nausea and also fear of death. But if you had the chance to uh, have a Total Recall-style memory of Mars implanted into your brain, would you? Of course I would! Yes! You would? Yeah, that'd
0: be amazing! That's a terrible plan. Why? What? Really? Have you seen the film Total Recall?
1: Like, do you... are you familiar... With, with the movie? Right, Well, with that, that has nothing to do with the way that the, the memory was implanted into his brain. It was all about previous occurrences of his... No, Hank, things go terribly wrong when you have implanted memories. Period, all the
0: time, every time. Have you never read a dystopian novel? Never get a memory implanted.
1: But if it just came to me right now without anybody else having been on Mars... Then I would get to know all kinds of things that would be new to science. I w- it would, be, I would have an obligation to science to get this memory implant. Mm.
0: You know, I was just having a breakfast with a uh, with a friend of a friend, and uh, we were together recalling terrible things that have happened to us over the years that now feel almost like pleasurable memories um because you know like you have this you have this wild experience that at the time is very unpleasant i was remembering for instance this uh this this sailing trip that we took in sweden with uh with really good friends of ours and um one of whom by the way is is a fan of ayn rand and i, I don't know maybe a listener to this podcast and so maybe i've just uh offended him terribly but he regardless we're still really good friends even though we have different world views and um Uh, We were on this this sailboat in Sweden, Hank, and it was August and and my wife had brought a bikini and I had brought a a nice pair of swim trunks, except that it was actually like negative 45 degrees Kelvin. (laughs) It was colder than absolute zero. Um, And it was just unbelievably awful. By the way, when I say degrees Kelvin, people get really mad. So,
1: yeah, well, also when you say below absolute zero.
0: Well, yes, exact. Now I've now I've now I've I've, I've infuriated the, the Randians and I've also infuriated the people who believe in science. And so really we're <laughs> down to we're down to an incredibly small audience. Um, so anyway, uh, it was it was extremely cold in kelvins and uh, uh, but I, somehow I have fond memories of this trip, even though at the time I enjoyed, uh, you know, I, I basically spent three days feeling cold and nauseated, uh, occasionally playing this Swedish card game called Plump. And uh, it was generally horrific. Uh, we went to one island that was uh, occupied by nothing but rats, but it was occupied by so many rats. It was just an in, in, in unfathomable number of rats per square inch so that when you walked to the bathroom, uh, which was the only building on the island, y- you would walk past literally thousands of scurrying rats, scurrying all over your your feet, um, which had to be, you know, clothed in very, very uh, large boots because it was so incredibly cold in the Swedish August. And, uh, and yet somehow I, I have really fond memories. So I feel like the other, the other thing I would say about you wanting to get these memories implanted is that the memories would, in a way, be a lie. Uh, they would inherently be a lie, like like memory is
1: uh, is incomplete and deceitful. So I'm not mm. sure that it would be scientifically useful. That's true. There is truth there. There is truth in that very, 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 very long story that had nothing to do with nothing <laughs> at all to do to mar- with Mars. <laughs>
0: It's funny, I always make fun of you for, for uh being the king of tangents, but in fact I just uh I just did the worst. I did the worst tangent we've ever had on this entire podcast. <laughs> it's just like Rats, so many rats, rats everywhere. <laughs> Does anyone want to hear the story of, of my time on a on a sailboat in Sweden? Answer No. I'll tell you anyway, don't worry. Fear uh, not. Faithful listeners, I have returned with tales from Sweden
1: um, no, in two thousand eight. I I mean, I think that there are a lot of memories that I w- I would like to have implanted in me, like like the memory of uh, like we could ha- we could take Russ and we could say let's just implant the memory of having read those twenty five books, and you don't have to read them.
0: Ah, first off, he only had twenty three books on his must read list. You have a terrible memory. Secondly. Um, I I think when it comes to giving Russ advice, we've gotten way distracted and we need to focus on the core advice, which is that Russ, along with the other people of the United Kingdom, need to make sure to see the Paper Towns movie when it comes out in August. All right, John you want to give us a question? We're going to go with this question from Jessica. Jessica writes, Dear John and Hank, my boyfriend of three years and I had a very serious conversation recently during which we articulated a dilemma that we both suspected. He really wants children and I really don't. He said that at age 20, we are too young to break up because of a potential future issue, but it's making it hard to picture a future with him. Do we break up now because of this difference or wait to see if one of us changes our mind? Hmm. Well, first off, Jessica, please bear in mind that all of our advice is dubious. Yes. So uh, do not make decisions based on our dubious advice. However, I have lots of dubious advice to dispense on this question, but I'm going to let you start, Hank. Oh, wow.
1: Well, I would just say that I, like, it's about this person that you have in your life and this relationship, and whether or not you want to work on it. Um, you know, And part of working on that relationship is is coming to coming to agreements about disagreements coming to and if you don't feel like you can do that then that's well but this is a big disagreement yeah right if you don't feel like you can come to an agreement on the disagreement then you know it it does indeed uh, would likely lead to a lot of unpleasantness in the future
0: yeah but they're only 20 to be fair I feel like at 20 You don't have to make a decision for the rest of your life about having kids. Agree. Either way. Yes. Unless you are actually pregnant or uh, have a child. Hank, if I may uh, tell another really long tangential story. When Sarah and I got engaged, uh, before we got married, we got married in a Catholic church. uh, So we had to go to this thing, the Catholic Engaged Encounter, which was a weekend long... uh, like marriage counseling thing. Now, I wanted to run screaming uh, from this monastery place where we had the Catholic engaged encounter the moment we drove up. and there were many weird and terrible things about it. but it was really useful. Um, and, and a lot of the things that like people talked about that weekend or stuff are, are, are things that Sarah and I still talk about. But anyway, at one point during the engaged encounter, there were like eight or nine engaged couples, and we had to stand back to back. And then they said, uh, "Raise your hand if you want children." And then you turned around and you saw if your partner had their hand raised. Right? Uh, Sarah and I were the only couple mm. that had had even discussed this, and so there were there were three or four really intense fights that happened in public immediately after this turnaround, where. Uh, one person would say to the other, "What do you mean you don't want to have children?" And I was like, "Wow, you guys really probably should have discussed this before your Catholic engaged encounter." Um, so in a way, I'm happy, Jessica, that you're talking about it now because yeah. I do think that it's an important thing. And it's certainly, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend your life together or have a long term partnership um, that goes through your child raising, likely child raising years, then it's important. But like. Um, I don't think that you have to come to any consensus when you're 20, um, and I don't think that you should be holding yourself to decisions that you make when you're 20 um, if you don't have to. Um, I feel the same way about being 37. By the way, um, I feel like you should be allowed to change your mind in life. And one of the things that in a in a partnership in a marriage is, um, like Hank said, like uh, figuring out how to navigate disagreements, figuring out how to navigate different worldviews and different priorities um, that will inevitably come up in a marriage. So I wouldn't worry yet. That's my opinion. But I would worry before your Catholic engaged encounter. I'm assuming that you're Catholic.
1: (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's much, there's much life ahead of you. And, uh, and it does, hopefully, Maybe not, Jessica. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my it's God all fleeting. God. Oh, my God. You could be at the end. You think you're at the beginning, but you could be in the second half. <laughs> so so now, now we know how John's mind always and continually operates.
0: It always returns to the darkness, Hank. <laughs> to the yawning darkness that lasts forever, that awaits all of us. Thanks for coming to Dear Hank and John, a comedy podcast sponsored by our friends at Death. Death. <laughs> defining the human experience for 250,000 years death what would life be without it
1: this podcast John I want to say is also brought to to you the listeners by marzipan the uh, the 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 product of food that people sometimes shape into other food type products. And also, according to the one time that I Googled marzipan in order to uh, to have a picture of marzipan from Homestar Runner, uh, into little tiny babies, which is extremely, extremely creepy, and there's a whole thing on marzipan babies that I don't know if that got shared on Facebook or something, but when you Google marzipan, there's lots of tiny babies the size of your hand, and it's really terrifying.
0: I guess my concern with the marzipan sponsorship is I just don't see how it's ever going to be actually enacted, whereas the death sponsorship seems to me totally doable.
1: Uh, Rachel, uh, and you—you you used this word earlier in the podcast, and I think that that Rachel, and and everyone needs some clarity from specifically John Green. Uh, so Rachel asks, dear Hank and John, can you please explain the proper use of nausea, nauseated, and nauseous?
0: Sure, I will explain it. Um, nausea uh, is a noun, um, like the nausea that one feels when one is on a boat in Sweden. Uh, is, is the proper use of nausea. And then nauseated and nauseous um, are synonyms that people act like aren't synonyms because they want to uh, impose rules of grammar that uh, are
1: ridiculous. Ah, Is that fair, Hank? I, I have no idea. Um, I had been told that there was some that there was some difference between those two. And uh, by, uh, by apparently these prescriptivist D-bags.
0: Yeah, I mean, why be prescriptivist? We all know what nauseous means. We all know what nauseated means. Technically, nauseous, uh, you know, ought to mean, you know, a thing that makes you feel nauseated. Like, uh, you know, the the ocean is, is nauseous uh, when you are on a sailboat, and it makes you feel nauseated. But that's ludicrous. Uh, we all know what nauseous means. Like, if something makes you feel nauseous, you're... you're it's fine it's fine nothing nothing is going nothing fundamental about the language is going to uh is going to be deeply affected uh by us just accepting nauseous also meaning nauseated uh for me like language exists uh to communicate and it should be as clear as possible and when uh when ambiguity is introduced from uh in language we need to find ways to make it clear but like you know, all, all the time we use language in ways that are far more confusing than nauseous and nauseated, and somehow we get by. Like, when I say, like, Hank, there is a bear, uh, and it is going to kill us. You don't, like, pause and say, but John, do you mean, like, a, a bear- person? Like, do you mean a naked person? Do you mean, um, do you mean a, a weight that we must bear that's going to kill us? No, you just, you, you understand from context that I'm referring uh, to, to a large mammal that is going to kill us. And so there's perfect clarity in that sentence. So I just, I, I feel like we need to just let language be um, unless uh, we're introducing problematic ambiguities.
1: You have it, there you have it for, directly from a, a person who makes words for a living. So we can we can have that. I try very hard not to make words. I try to use existing ones. I'm not
0: Shakespeare. <laughs> you make some words. I do occasionally make a word when I have to.
1: Have you ever Have you ever coined a word that has become uh, you know used in broader English? Befrido? Uh
0: Bufrito, maybe. Um, although I didn't coin that, it comes from my actual high school. Like most of looking for Alaska. Um oh. I guess the the word that I uh, that I created that. Um, is most often seen as a typo, and people email me all the time and say, there is a typo in your book, Looking for Alaska, is suedent, uh, which refers to a um, a death that is possibly a suicide and possibly an accident. Mm. Um, but that hasn't really caught on, except that people think it's a
1: typo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a question from Jose, who asks, dear Hank and John, if you two could replace any famous duo... Yeah. Who would it be and why?
0: Wait, now, would we, in this situation, would we be becoming a famous duo?
1: No, we would, we, yes, we would be becoming an, a famous duo that already exists. Mm. Like we would be Batman and Robin or the Wright brothers.
0: Yeah, I mean, not the Wright brothers, obviously, because one of them died in an airplane accident. And just knowing me, it would probably be me. Um, well, in
1: addition to that, we'd have to fly planes a lot, which was something neither of us really enjoy.
0: Yeah, I don't even like being a passenger in in a plane, let alone uh, being responsible for for the air flight. Uh, I'm also not really into engineering or construction, which were the other two things that the Wright brothers had to spend a lot of time doing.
1: Um, You know, John, I had a dream uh, before VidCon that I was the pilot of a plane, and I crashed it and killed everyone. Because
0: anxiety. I know what that's a metaphor for, uh, being the pilot of the plane that is VidCon. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to say... Uh, Simon and Garfunkel Uh, But I call Simon I'm Simon Oh wow Wow! I have a beautiful singing voice I write songs And then you harmonize with me occasionally And then eventually I kick you out of my band And I go on to a wonderful solo career I have a nice Not permanent But nice marriage to Edie Brickell Of Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians And I live happily ever after And you have very
1: curly hair (laughs) How about Holland Oats then And you get to be Oats I'll take Oats I don't mind being Oates. Oates, <laughs> Oates has had a good life. I, I actually know very little about Holland Oates, except that I like their music a great deal. Is that who you'd pick? You'd pick Holland Oates? No, no. Um, what would you pick? What pick a duo? Let's 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 replace Watson and Crick, and then not be total d bags about it. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll replace Watson and Crick, and we
0: will acknowledge the contributions of other scientists, especially women, to figuring out the structure of yeah. DNA.
1: And and also not be racist. That's good. That's a good
0: policy. I have to say, um, one of the best science books I've ever written was unfortunately written uh, by either Watson or Crick. I can't remember which one. Uh, And it's about the discovery of the double helix. And of course, it's it it, it, or, or the figuring out of the double helix. I guess it wasn't discovered. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, of course, in retro—like, I didn't know this at the time when I was reading it in high school, but it's a-, it's a completely sort of fabricated account that puts Watson and Crick at the center of things in ways that they, they really weren't. But, um, oh, but it's a good read. It's not fair that you should be able to both be a good scientist and, and a good writer, um, but it it was, a- it was a good read.
1: I've never read that. Um, and to be, uh, to be totally fair, it's-, it's Watson who has been the, uh, the-, the-, the crazy sexist racist guy. I know I know let me look up and see if it was let me see who it was that wrote the book it was I think it might have been
0: I think it might have been I think it might have been Crick let's see uh it was Watson. Yeah, I figured it was Watson. Rar, rar, rar. He lived long. Anyway, there. very enjoyable he's, book. He's still around. Even if he turned out later to be a D bag. I mean, so many good things are made by so many bad people, Hank. This is this is something that I've been struggling with in general. Mm. we talked about it before on the podcast, but many good things are made by bad people. Hank, I have one last question for you. This comes from uh, Presley, uh, who you know uh oh. as uh the Crash Course fan who really inspired us to rethink Crash Course uh, in 2012 at VidCon uh, when she was probably eight or nine years old, and she told us that she was using Crash Course to learn history and biology and chemistry, and we that was the, really the first time that we realized that Crash Course could be like a, a proper educational tool.
1: Yeah, and also that it had a much broader demographic than we were expecting. Yes, much broader. Um, Presley asks, if you
0: could witness any moment of history, mm. which would you witness?
1: Mm.
0: It's a good question. It's a big question. And there's a lot of a lot of things to consider. Are you witnessing just like one day or one hour, or do you get to hang around for a few years to
1: figure out some things that happened? Well, I, I think uh, Presley said moment, right? Presley said moment. Moment.
0: A moment. So is there some critical juncture in history that you would like uh, to be able to witness. Now we're assuming here, I, I think that uh, you're able to travel with antibiotics, all the things that you will need to prevent yourself from getting some past right, scourge. You
1: you won't you won't you can't you can't be hurt and you can't affect the situation. I think is implied. So the the situation can't affect you and you can't affect the situation. You're just witnessing it. I love it. It's a great question. I mean, I think that I would have to defer to a historian. I'd have to go to I'd have to like poll a bunch of historians and say, like, what do you guys want me to witness? Because I don't know enough about this. I wouldn't I wouldn't put that decision up to me. Uh, because who who am I? I'm I'm just a I'm a video blogger. Yeah, well,
0: let's actually, if there are any historians uh, listening to this podcast, we'd love your input on this. You can email us at hankandjohn at com and let us know what moment of history we should witness because obviously Hank and I are both uh, yeah. a little unsure on this one. Right,
1: but I mean, my, my, I, I would love to have, like, a, a, that would be a really amazing thing to to be there to witness neil armstrong uh stepping onto the moon mm. uh because then i would be on and i'd like get to be on the moon suddenly mm. uh hopefully like not being affected by the entire like the lack of atmosphere mm-hmm. um or or i could be there for the moment in history when curiosity landed on mars and then i'd i'd be there and i'd get to watch that and that would be pretty epic i hopefully i could bring a gopro Oh God! It's always
0: space with you, you know. Why wouldn't you go back to 2002 and be able to witness the moment that AFC Wimbledon were oh created out God. of the ashes of Wimbledon <laughs> FC—the most important moment in in world history?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's also like, uh, what, what what would you think about being able to witness Jesus, John? Oh, I'd be in favor of that. Uh,
0: I think that you could learn a lot. I mean, I, my my initial thought was uh, immediately went to uh, the 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 moment. Um, that Muhammad and the Islamic community in exile in Medina uh, sort of settled with the Meccans to allow a, a return to, uh, an annual return to Mecca, um, which is a critical moment in Islamic history and one that we don't know a ton about. Uh, that That's one moment. And then the other moment, yeah, would be the crucifixion of Jesus just because, uh, well, for one thing, like it would establish a lot of things about the hi- historicity of, of Jesus's life and whether there was a Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, and if so, for what, and all of that stuff. I would love to be there for that day, although I'm sure that it would be unpleasant. Yes. Um, Yeah, those are the two things that initially come to mind because I am, you know, most of my interest in history and understanding of history is from, you know, the history of religion. But uh, also, I don't know, the moment the Buddha reached uh, nirvana sitting under uh, a tree... That would be really interesting, like to watch someone reach nirvana. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot that I wouldn't mind seeing from the past as long as I could bring antibiotics.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it'd be so cool to be able to bring back a sample of the the biology of the day and like know more about their flus.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I could take a camera, I would love to go back in time uh, to dinosaurs and just take oh, some yeah. pictures of T-Rexes because Henry would freak. Like, that's my five-year-old <laughs> son, he would freak. He would, if, I, if I was like, oh, Henry, I went to uh, the Jurassic period and here's a picture of an actual Tyrannosaurus Rex, he would
1: flip. Well, I mean, technically, you're talking about prehistory now. Uh, I, was, I was thinking of, of history, but if we're talking about prehistory, then wouldn't you just go and witness the Big Bang? And be like, okay, there it is. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I wouldn't go back all the way back to the Big Bang. I think that, uh, I mean, the Big Bang was like the only interesting moment in the history of time for several billion
1: years. Well, you could kind of say that it was the only interesting moment in the history of time because time has been awfully boring as an institution since then. Time hasn't changed at all. Sometimes I think about the fact that there was no time before the Big Bang, and my head starts to
0: hurt. Like when I think about how there's supposedly no edge to the universe. Can we move on, Hank, to uh, the news from AFC Wimbledon and Mars? Your problem there was the word "before"
1: uh, when dealing with uh, the the you know the creation of time.
0: Right. Like, yeah, exactly. That, that that even that sentence is incorrect. That there was no time before the creation of time. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard to get your head around the idea of time being created, but it was. It will also uh, cease to exist um, in the fullness of time, like all things. Uh, let's talk about the news from AFC Wimbledon and Mars.
1: Now I'm wondering if time will actually cease to exist, but I'm not going to go there. So let's talk about... Of course let's it talk will, about, Hank. Because everything ceases eventually, even time. I don't, know, I don't know that that's true. I'm not sure that we know whether or not that's true. But let me tell you some news from Mars. Are you ready for it? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. All right. Well, the Curiosity rover celebrated celebrated its third birthday on Mars last week, though actually on the day that this podcast is being recorded, it is officially the third birthday of the Curiosity rover on Mars, which is exciting. And uh, as we discussed last week with Felicia, it sang itself, happy, happy birthday today.
0: That's wonderful. Um, that's really lovely. Uh, you know, you know. You know what else has turned three? What? Like, a billion humans just this year. No big deal. (laughs) Whatever. Now, you're
1: not going to impress me with turning three curiosity. Well, that's not actually our Mars news, which comes from an older mission uh, still operating in orbit around Mars. The European Space Agency's Mars Express orbiter has been photographing Mars for over 11 years, and this week they released a a video It's really cool. It's freaking gorgeous that they compiled from the data uh, and photographs collected by the Mars Express orbiter. Um, uh, It's a a 3D render uh, flyover of Mars's Atlantis chaos region. Uh, using using stuff from the high resolution stereo camera, it's super, super gorgeous, and the only thing I wanted from it was for it to be longer so that I could continue flying over the surface of Mars. and you can you can uh, virtually fly over the surface of Mars yourself. All you just gotta go to YouTube and search for Atlantis Chaos. and that is Atlantis Chaos. Yes, that is what it's called. That's pretty cool region of a pretty cool planet. I'm sorry.
0: I, uh, I wasn't listening for the last three minutes because the first minute of that was so incredibly boring.
1: Atlantis chaos,
0: John. In AFC Wimbledon news, uh, our long international worldwide nightmare is at last coming to an end, Hank. And AFC Wimbledon will begin their League Two campaign this Saturday, as we're recording
1: the podcast, August 8th against Mighty Plymouth. So last Saturday for the people listening to the podcast.
0: Well, yeah, I guess, uh, which which is a little bit problematic because I won't be able to know the results. Oh, yes. I'm going to look into the future, Hank, and I'm going to predict that AFC Wimbledon beat Plymouth 3-1, two goals from Ottobio Akinfenwa, the beast, and one goal uh, from George Frankenstein Frankum, who is a doctor, not a monster, (laughs) and uh, we win 3-0 and uh. In the North Stand, which, as you know, Hank, is no longer called the North Stand. It's called the John Green Stand because I'm sponsoring uh, the stand. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you about that? Yep, you did. So, uh, and then in the North Stand, after uh, George Frankenstein Franken scores the third goal, they're going to sing my name, uh, and I will weep. That is my prediction for the game. Okay. Well, I'm... Victory. Victory. Glory.
1: uh, The opposite of chaos. Order. Uh... Well, in the comments on SoundCloud or just on Twitter, you can let us know how John fared in his predictions of AFC Wimbledon's first game of the, of the season. Did I say that right? God, we better win. You'd better win. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? We've got
0: to get off to a good start, Hank. This is a huge well, deal.
1: I mean, really, the good news oh. about this, about the season starting, is that now you will have actual news to share with us.
0: Oh, I've had news all summer. Are you kidding? The re-signing of Akinfenwa, uh, a hugely important thing. The the sponsorship of the North Stand by uh, noted American YA novelist John Green. Uh, there's been a ton of stuff happening at AFC Wimbledon. Um, and by the way... In uh, I would predict three weeks, the biggest and most stunning AFC Wimbledon news ever will be announced on this podcast. and it will definitely beat whatever your Mars news is for that week. Uh, but, but it's not time for that yet. First, first, uh, uh, they have to take on Plymouth, um, and then on Tuesday, August 11th, uh, they're taking on Cardiff City in the Capital One Company Cup Cup, which is very exciting as well. Uh, Cardiff City, Hank, a proper championship team. Like, they're in the second division of, uh, of uh, football in England. So it's just, it's it's an incredibly exciting time to be an AFC Wimbledon fan. But then again, I exactly, I know what you're thinking, Hank. It's
1: always an incredibly exciting time to be an AFC Wimbledon fan. And that is the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Uh And that is also the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for uh, listening to today's podcast. What did we learn today, Hank? Oh, gosh. You always ask me that question, and I never take any notes, so I forget. Well, we learned how John feels about Ayn Rand. We did learn about that. And we learned uh, that when you're 20, you don't necessarily have to come to an agreement with your your partner about about life-changing huge things. But you should come to those agreements before you go to your Catholic... Priest approval ceremony thing.
0: What was that? There, there were there were, there was no priest there, but yes, that's a that's a beautiful notion. Um, <laughs> what else? Uh, what else did we learn? By the way, neither Sarah nor I is Catholic. I should probably mention that at some point in the podcast, <laughs> um, which made the Catholic engaged encounter particularly interesting because we were learning a lot about Catholicism while we were also uh, <laughs> encountering our engagement. Uh, You know, the other thing that we learned, Hank, is uh, when you go to Sweden in August, don't take a bikini because it's going to be cold. It's going to be negative Kelvin's cold. Oh, my God.
1: When we learned that negative Kelvin exists.
0: (laughs) Thank you
1: so much for listening to Dear John and
0: Hank. You can uh, leave questions for us uh, at hankandjohn at gmail.com and we'll try to answer as many as we can in the coming weeks. I'm returning for good. I know that you guys are going to miss the amazing co-hosts that Hank has had, but uh, I'm home for a
1: while now, which means that uh, at least for the foreseeable future, you're stuck with me. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. You can find us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is available Wherever podcasts are sold. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. Be awesome.